another. I'll lay virtual hands since go. I have to use the mic. Pray with me, if you would. Lord Jesus, we are amazed at your provision for us. You have provided us a senior pastor and John Grossman of uh, humility, of intelligence, with a heart warm toward you, and uh, he is a shepherd that we can and we have followed. We thank you for him. I thank you for Pastor Eddie, um, our bivocational pastor, who has, over these many years, invested in all of our kids uh, through VBS, through the youth, and uh, has preached and, and been an example to us faithfully. And uh, now we bring before you our own Eric Payne, 20 years the junior of Pastor John, and we're so excited that uh, he is going to bring his vision, um, his passion, and his energy to the role of senior pastor. And uh, we just thank you as the, these three men adjust to uh, their roles. We will continue to have uh, the teaching and preaching ministry of Pastor John, which is rare, but uh, it's a joy for us to have that. And we particularly pray that... Uh, Eric's heart would continue to be warm toward you, that he would love you with all his heart, with all his mind, with all his soul, that he would be a role model for us in that, uh, that passion, in the way that he loves his wife, in the way that he loves his children, um, and in the way that he creates a vision for us to grow together to become more and more like you, but to impact our community more and more. And we acknowledge that in our country, um, we live in a different world than we lived in 1983. And we thank you for the, the, um, the faithfulness of John. But as Eric goes forward, he needs to lead us in a world, in a community that doesn't necessarily see being a believer as a net positive. And may you um, grant to him special provision to navigate this new uh, context in which we find ourselves as the Grace Church in the Woods. We know that your spirit will be in uh, Eric, that it will guide him, uh, guide him in grace and truth as he teaches us in Sunday school from the pulpit. May his message always be grounded in your word May he cling to that, and may he teach us to cling to it as well, so that we can love you more, so that we can be more impactful in our uh, neighborhoods, uh, in our relationships, in our workplace and school, um, all for your glory and for our joy and for the joy of this community in which we find ourselves. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brothers. If you were all right down, didn't touch you. Yeah. Even me. At two, Michael. You guys go ahead. I've got yeah. one more official act. I can't leave the last oh, big, okay. big guy out of this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so one more official act. I'm going to invite Eric and now Mandy and all the kids to come and take over. The seats that have always been ours <laughs> for 
for, for the last 30 years. My, my family and I have sat there. Come on over. And it'll be good to see more kids again up in this row. And, and if there's not room, a little behind, over this way, whatever. I'm, I'm going to appear in different places. You never know where I might be. <laughs> not sure. Am I on? I'm on. All right. I'm not sure how to follow that. Um, that was unexpectedly emotional for me. Pastor John, I'm very grateful for your ministry and your life with my life. You as well, Eric. Um, wow. Now we can turn our focus to the Lord. <laughs> if that wasn't focus enough. Uh, you, you have noticed each week in many churches, they, uh, time's taken to recite the Lord's Prayer as found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. And we are not one of those churches. We hardly ever recite the Lord's Prayer in unison, although it's happened a few times. But I would like to do that today in a few moments just before we have communion. Most everyone here, I think, knows the Lord's Prayer. You've said it enough times with some variation given the different church traditions and different Bible translations. We are cautioned two verses before the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 7. We're cautioned about repeating prayers. And so let me read the caution to you. It says, and when you are praying... Do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they will be heard for their many words. Anytime there's ritual, or you do something habitually, it's easy to slip into doing things thoughtlessly. And so I think I've had communion about 400 times in my life, plus or minus, probably 360 or more in this church, in this church building. Um, if you go to a church or have come from a church earlier in your life where you have communion every week, you might have had communion over a thousand times in your life. 1 Corinthians 11.27 cautions us not to eat the bread and drink the cup in an unworthy manner. It's easy to take communion as a thoughtless repetition. And I think... Doing it thoughtlessly would be in an unworthy manner. And so we need to not just go through the motions, but connect with what we're really doing, that this is in remembrance of the sacrifice of our Lord. So if you have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord in your life, this is for you. And if you haven't, when the, the cup and the bread come to you, you can just let it pass. So let's take a moment before God silently to prepare ourselves, and then I'm going to begin the Lord's Prayer. And you can join in in unison, thoughtfully, not mindless repetition. And just for the sake of unity, you can add thine is the power and the glory forever and ever, just to make sure we're all on the same page. <laughs> so let's, let's pray. This chair we might add onto the end of the row and, and provide them with a little more space. Yeah, there you go. 
I, I, I'm going to do something unusual. I want to convey greetings to Deb Liston, who has fallen ill this morning and is watching over the... <laughs> Not hard to make Jim cry. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we see the tears, brother. Let's go to prayer. Father, on this momentous occasion, I do indeed pray that you would be with my brother Eric as he assumes the role that I have had now for some 40 plus years. I pray that you would be with his family, certainly his dear wife Mandy, and all of the children, for they must make sacrifice, just as my family has had to make, for him to fulfill the role that you've called him into. And Lord, I, I pray that the experience he has in it will be a blessing, that you will bless him and the family through it, that it will be a joy. There are all kinds of aspects to senior leadership which are not easy, which are even disagreeable, but must be done. And thus, Lord, while there are so many good things, I pray that you will bless him and enable him to know your joy and your peace and your presence in all that he does and in all that he will do. For this transition will continue to transition over years forward and, and he will expand things he does, no doubt, in that process. So Lord, uh, bless him. Bless him now as I bring this message from your word with him in mind. In Christ, I pray. Amen. I love Eric Payne. You all love Eric Payne. Amen. It has been my privilege, it has been the privilege of every elder who has ever served with him on the elder board to have served with him on that board. He is a man of God who has loved and served this body for many years already which makes this transition so much easier and more pleasant. He and I and the whole elder board have worked on this transition that you witnessed this day for, as Pastor Eddie said just last week, at least 10 years. This has not been quick or casual. It's been well thought through, well prayed through, and we believe this is what the Lord wants. For as long as I have served Grace Evangelical Free Church since the very first Bible study in 1982 and the first worship service in 1984, I have been convinced that the best thing for the future of the church would be for new leadership to rise up among us and for the transition to work in such a way that I would not simply depart, which is pretty normal in pastoral transition, but that I would not simply depart, but remain to help the new leader to move forward by God's grace and for God's glory. I rejoice that God has provided such an able leader as Pastor Eric to carry on, starting now as our new senior pastor. He has the gifts, he has the passion, he has the commitment 
to lead us to greater things ahead than we have already seen behind. I pray that his ministry will far outclips mine and will outdo mine in so many ways. It will be my privilege, therefore, with whatever time God gives me remaining, to hold up his hands as Aaron and Hur supported Moses' hands when Israel battled the Amalekites. As Scott alluded to in his prayer earlier, there will probably be many battles ahead in our American church environment that are different than, certainly different than in the days when I first planted Grace Free Church. In commissioning Eric today, it is important to rather this important leading role you surely would have expected me, if you know me at all, to choose as the text for the message, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I've chosen verses 1 to 6. So if you will go there, Eric, I will now solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing at his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word. And then preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Obviously a statement about the whole church. I pray not ever this congregation. But you, Eric, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I think actually it was a very good thing that Mike Bowling um, planned to reverse the order of communion. <laughs> because I, I plan and, and have planned by including this sixth verse to have an opportunity, and I'm going to go to that first, and then we'll go back. So I'm, I'm just following Mike's lead. <laughs> I have an opportunity to speak to something which does not apply to today's transition, but which many continue to think does apply. Second Timothy, as you probably know, was Paul's last letter, written from prison when he knew that his departure, and by that he meant his end, the end of his life, was near. He had discipled Timothy for years, but he would be gone soon, and Timothy would need to carry on without him. Well, I have, I hope, done well in discipling Eric for years. I know he has discipled me. I have never claimed the gift of prophecy, and would never make a statement like Paul makes here because I don't know when my time here on earth 
or here in ministry will come to a close. But I can say, contrary to this verse, although this is a great passage for today, I am not departing. Well, all right, I am departing the role of senior pastor, but I will remain active in ministry here at Grace, which is the way that Eric and I have always wanted it, as we have discussed this now for years and years. In most cases, when a new pastor or a new senior pastor is appointed, the former one leaves. In many denominations, they not only recommend that the former one leaves, they actually make sure that the former one leaves. Well, that's not what Pastor Eric and I have wanted, or Pastor Eddie, or the entire elder board has ever intended that this transition be. Insofar as Eric and Eddie and I have co-pastored, we will still do so. But Eric and I will exchange positions somewhat, and that exchange of positions will change even more over time. I will not suddenly do all the things that he has been doing. And he will not suddenly do all of what I at least once did or have done for many, many years by myself. In terms of duties, this transition as we move forward in 2024 will not look to you a whole lot different than it looked in 2023 or perhaps 2022. But we will nevertheless change roles. He will assume now the responsibilities, and a lot of that is not things you see, or at least not that we all see at once. He will assume the responsibilities of senior pastor. I suppose we have contributed to the confusion about this point by choosing the title for me of Pastor Emeritus. Emeritus status is commonly associated with retirement, which is not what is happening. Although what it means is, here's a leader who is now retired, but maintains the privileges of the role that has been surrendered, which only in part conveys accurately what we intend in this transition. I am not departing, leaving, going away, or retiring. Now, I've said that. I say it again because it doesn't seem to matter how many times we say this. Many are convinced that, okay, so now you're, you're, you're leaving. Now you are retiring. It's not what is happening. I am maintaining the privileges of the role that is surrendered, which I will continue in preaching. I will continue in teaching. Um, continue to serve the body, and thus my lifelong ministry will have occurred essentially at one church. This is not common in pastoral ministry, though I certainly wish it were much more common. When a pastor understands the flock he serves, and when he has matured to the point where he can really bring to them spiritually Food, spiritual food of high quality, most pastors by that time are in perhaps their fifth or sixth ministries. And the connection, and thus the quality received by that fifth or sixth congregation is inevitably diluted. 
So we commissioned Eric as our senior pastor today, this first Sunday of 2024. Eric, having been with us for so long that he's already very familiar with this congregation and his capabilities have been rising all that time to assume the role he is in now. But, and here's the key point again, you are still stuck with me. For my part, it's a privilege and honor to continue to preach and teach and to share that function with Eric. And I pray that I may still mentor him for his benefit, but I am sure that his preaching and his teaching will bless me and will bless all of us as it already has abundantly. I pray for Eric as he bears the responsibilities of lead leadership. I pray for him, and you should pray for him as well, for wisdom and for courage and for a willingness to serve Christ before anyone else, a willingness for him to tell us and himself even things that he would rather not because he is driven there by God's word. You may not always want what he preaches and teaches. Look at verses 3 and 4 of our text. But I pray you will receive it as he faithfully delivers what God has for us. Now back to verse 1. I solemnly charge you. Eric, this transition that we engage in is solemn. It is serious. I want you to sense the importance of the seriousness. You and I in particular, Eddie as well, but you and I in particular will be judged in a stricter way one day. James 3, verse 1. When Jesus Christ appears for how we have carried out the responsibility of senior teaching, preaching leadership. How faithfully we have taught and lived God's word. Of course, it would do us all good to reflect on the fact that one day we will all face God and our works will be judged. All of our thinking, all of our decision making, all of our witness, all of our conduct in this present life should be affected by that coming judgment. Because we will all face God and he will hold us accountable in the eternal kingdom as we go to that eternal kingdom. This realization, Eric, encourages us to do our work carefully and faithfully and delivers us from the fear of man. For we will all, and we are in particular, judged ultimately by God. Knowing that God will one day judge our works encourages us to keep going even when we face difficulties and you will certainly face difficulties. You already have. We are serving him, not ourselves, and not even ultimately the body, although the body is served. We are serving him above even the body of believers that we love. A pastor's ultimate accountability is not to a board. 
It's not to a local church. It's not to a denomination or any other human institution, no matter how godly they may be. His ultimate accountability is to the Lord who called him and empowered him and who will one day judge his ministry. Verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. The Greek word preach means to herald or to proclaim. The noun form was used of a person whose duty it was to go about the town and proclaim the message of the king. He had to make known without any alteration the message that had been delivered to him. We, in the pastoral position, are to be God's town criers, making known the gospel of his son, teaching God's word without alteration. There is the challenge. One of the things that I really like about Eric is that on so many subjects of importance and significance, he and I are in sync. He and I agree. We are so much of one mind. But at the same time, those who preach and teach are never to pursue their own opinions. He and I have a lot of opinions in common, but it's not about our opinions. We are to proclaim God's eternal, authoritative word of truth. In terms of impact on churches and upon individual lives, nothing can properly take the place of faithfully, diligently, and thoroughly teaching and preaching God's word. Many make a huge distinction in our time between preaching and teaching, which I think is unwarranted. They are simply, in my mind, different forms of the same gift. But where teaching or Bible studies or Sunday school classes, which are so commonly two-way or multiple-way communications, often with many voices engaged, nothing wrong with that, but there's always a tendency, and you see it in, in many places dramatically, to have such situations dissolve into a kind of free-for-all and a host of personal opinions, agendas, and comments come and in many, many, too many cases, no clear biblical content is communicated. This, Eric, must never be the case in the one-way communication that is the preaching of God's word. And even when we teach it in dialogue with others, we must ever be diligent to be biblical and to guard that which is biblical. Sometimes we must correct others in such circumstances, and sometimes such correction is even uncomfortable. It is not about our opinions on all sorts of interesting subjects that matters. It's our responsibility to convey what God has said. Now, let me also add this balancing and I think important thought. It is not wrong to include current events and issues, even politics, in messages. I don't think this is wrong. 
Sometimes certain things must be addressed because they are so overwhelmingly huge in the world in which we live. But they must never dominate the message in our preaching and teaching. Let God's word address current events and issues. God's word must be the source and the anchor and the guiding content of all that you preach and teach. The word of God is to be preached or proclaimed. It is to be taught so that the body knows who God is and what God has said and what God expects and what God promises. Only continual, diligent study of God's word and unceasing, unceasing fellowship with him in prayer and submission to the Holy Spirit can keep alive a sense of exhilarating eagerness to preach. You've all noticed in many of Eric's recent messages that he is just enthusiastic about doing this. Years will go on. Some of that enthusiasm will fade unless there is a clear sense of dependence on the Lord and fellowship with him in prayer especially. Apart from such commitment, the most gifted and orthodox preaching will inevitably grow stale. As Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, he who at the end of 20 years ministry, so I'm like double that, among the same people is more alive than ever. Someone who is still more alive than ever is a great debtor to the quickening spirit of God. And I say amen to that. Two days before his death, Clarence McCartney, the great Presbyterian expositor and upholder of orthodoxy, was visited by his brother Robertson, who was on his way to preach at a nearby church. As Robertson left, he heard his famous brother say, put all the Bible you can into it. Commenting on that exchange between the brothers, Oswald T. Alice, another great defender of orthodoxy, said, it was the counsel of one who had spent 50 years in the gospel ministry, occupied three historic pulpits, preached to thousands, written many books, read and traveled extensively, and played a prominent role in the life of the Christian church. And with these simple words, this famous preacher summed it all up. Put all the Bible you can into it. Eric, study the word. Learn the word. Immerse yourself in the word. Walk the word. Teach the word. Let it guide everything that you do and say, and the whole body will be blessed. Now Paul goes on in verse 2. To say, be ready, be on duty constantly, always be prepared. Like Timothy, we should be diligent and alert to every opportunity to preach or to proclaim or to teach the word of God in season and out of season. Thus, when it is favorable and even when it is not favorable. It is easy for those who are in our role to make excuses when we ought to be making opportunities. Paul himself found an opportunity to share the word 
whether it was in the temple courts or on a stormy sea or even in prison. He who watches the wind will not sow. He who looks at the clouds will not reap. Ecclesiastes 11.4. We can find all kinds of things to distract us that are not significant or important. Proclaiming God's word must not be dictated by popular culture or propriety or tradition or even by the esteem that one gains by it in the community or even in the church, but solely by the mandate of our Lord. In verse 2, we also see that biblical preaching must be marked by three elements, conviction, warning, and appeal. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. A pastor's continuing, continuing responsibility to expose, reprove, and rebuke sin. Sin, after all, is what totally separates unbelievers from God. And it is what temporarily separates believers from a close fellowship with our God. Some people are tormented by doubts, and they must be convinced by sound arguments. Others have fallen into sin, seriously in many cases, and they need to be rebuked. Others are haunted by fears, and they need to be encouraged. Thus, faithful preaching, Eric, is no easy task. One must often both afflict the comfortable and at the same time comfort the afflicted. Conviction is important. But if the remedy is not clearly enough explained, then we only add to people's burdens. If encouragement is given to those who ought to be rebuked, then we only assist them in their sins. Biblical preaching must teach all of God's word in context, and yet in so many cases, balancing truths must, I believe, be clearly explained. When you consider the wide variety of circumstances in your listeners' lives and the wide level of maturity in your listeners' walks and the wide variety of matters on your listeners' hearts and the wide range of understanding and misunderstanding in your listeners' minds, it is a terribly difficult thing to preach effectively to many constant prayer and an enormous dependence on the Holy Spirit are requirements for good preaching. And thankfully, the Holy Spirit uses your messages in different ways for different people all at the same time. It is his work. You are the vessel, the channel. Be a faithful one. God's speaker must also be patient as he preaches the word. You will not always see immediate results. You must be patient with those who even oppose your preaching, sometimes within the congregation. The ministry, therefore, is no place for an individual with a short fuse. Correction and rebuke rarely accomplish their purpose the first time around. Christians ought to be tremendously patient with each other and with the lost because we Christians should have unconquerably believed in the changing power of Christ. Above all else, the preacher must instruct. He must preach doctrine, 
He must not simply tell Bible stories or relate interesting illustrations or read a passage of Scripture and then essentially forget it or move away from it or just preach to entertain. True preaching is the explanation and the application of the biblical text so that listeners may understand God's truth in all its fullness. Anything else, and there is all matter of everything else in pulpits all over the world every single week. Anything else other than the sound teaching of God's word is just religious speech making. Eric, any number of good things may seek to consume your days. You will have to make firm decisions not to let the good squeeze out the vital. Do not sacrifice study and preparation for the pulpit because so many other things beckon your time. And church, when you are satisfied that Eric's teaching and preaching is good quality, you will tend to then take it for granted. And you will want Eric to spend much more time dealing with your personal needs and desires. You will want more visits, more personal time. You will want all manner of things that you want to convince Eric to do that would show that he cares about you. Not noticing that everyone else wants the same from him. Thus I say to the church, guard Eric's time to prepare good teaching and preaching. When you make that your priority, then Eric will feed all well. In verse 2, Paul gave the responsibility. Now in verses 3 and 4, he gives the reason. Preach the word, yes. But that will mean you must give people God's truth even when they don't want it. It's no easy thing to tell people what they don't want to hear. The false philosopher deals in flattery and panders to self-esteem. The true philosopher is after the good of hearers, though they often don't recognize it. The honest proclaimer of God's truth tells people, come and be told that you are in a bad way. The honest preacher's proclaiming of truth is a message that is really surgical. Alcibiades, the brilliant but spoiled darling of Athens, used to tell Socrates, Socrates, I hate you. Because every time I meet you, you make me see what I am. The first essential of good preaching is to compel people to see themselves as they are. By nature, men avoid the truth. They prefer deception to reality. The gospel is a light which illumines the dark corners of men's lives. No wonder it's resisted. The unreal world of fiction and fable provides people with places to hide. Now, there is very good fiction that is very biblical, but so much of it provides people with places to hide. It recognizes no final truth. It makes no judgments. Without judgment, people are free to wander as they please. 
They will not have their sin rebuked. And they will not submit to the demands of holiness. As the noted Bible scholar Marvin Vincent wrote, if people desire a calf to worship, a ministerial calf maker will readily be found. At least for a time, people can get what they want. But man cannot ultimately run and hide. There is a God with whom we have to do. Shutting our eyes to the light never puts the light out. In many congregations, there is a great deal of wrongful desire for mere religious novelty or relatively superfluous but enjoyable entertainment. Many will accumulate teachers who will satisfy their cravings for that which even disagrees with God's truth. Too many preachers are just tickling, itching ears and giving people what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. They insist that truth is just relative. They expect an unending parade of advanced insights and professed discoveries of new truth, new understanding that relieves them of the burden of the pressures of the clear, plain, simple teaching of the text. Cater to none of those things, Eric. For if you do, what is the result? The congregation becomes a comfortable gathering of professing believers listening to a comfortable religious talk that contains little that is of real lasting value. Such people become the prey of every false cult imaginable. Because their lives lack a foundation in the word of God, it is a recognized fact that most cultists were formerly members of churches. The more determined people come, become rather to despise the teachings of Christ, the more zealous and determined faithful pastors must become in asserting them, no matter how unpopular that assertion makes them. Ambrose of Milan was one of the great figures of Orthodox Church history and one of the great Bible expositors. He was an intimate friend of Emperor Theodosius, who was a Christian, or at least a Christian outwardly, but a man of violent temper. Ambrose, however, never hesitated to tell the emperor the truth, even when the emperor didn't want to hear it, knowing that the emperor's temper, when stoked, might bring harm to Ambrose. Theodosius had a close friend, Botherich. He made this close friend governor of Thessalonica. Botherich was, all in all, a good governor. And he had, a, at, at a certain point, an occasion to imprison a very famous charioteer. And so, in Thessalonica, there rose a riot, and the rioters killed Botherich. Theodosius his anger inflamed, faced these who had killed the, the governor because they loved charioteers, wouldn't have anything done, no matter how evil or difficult the charioteer had been. But Theodosius, with his anger inflamed, sent orders for a massacre of vengeance. Later, he countermanded the order, but it was too late. By that time, 
Theodosius's soldiers had slaughtered men, women, and children for three long hours. More than 7,000 were killed. News of the massacre came back to Milan, and when Theodosius presented himself at the church service the next Sunday, Ambrose refused him admission. The emperor pled for pardon, but he had not repented. Ambrose refused him permission. Eight months passed, just think of that, and again Theodosius came to church. Again, Ambrose refused him admission. In the end, the emperor of Rome had to lie for some time prostrate on the ground with the penitents, publicly confessing, confessing and repenting of his very public sinfulness before he was allowed to worship with the church again. Hardly the most sought-after task of the Christian ministry, but sometimes the church must be fearless in rebuke. A word of warning or rebuke may spare someone spiritual shipwreck. One thinks of the prophet Nathan and King David. We are all called to ministries that have difficulties and hardships. Measure yourself by divine standards, not by human ones. Look to what is happening internally, not externally. Seek excellence, not just success. Devote yourself to what is eternal, not to what is temporal. You know, Eric, the years will fly by like the fence posts on a farm road as you drive along them. As I am in the position and age I am in now, so many years that seem long at the time have flown by. The years quickly become decades. You and I change with those years, but God's call never changes. Jesus, your judge, your savior, your king, will always be present, empowering and charging your call with divine voltage. Be therefore steadfast in your work. Remain faithful. Fulfill your ministry. Teach others God's truth. Lead. Be an example. Preach the word, brother. And may God bless you incredibly in doing so. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, the task before Pastor Eric is a mighty one. But you are a mighty God. And you will see him through and enable him to be and to do that which he ought to be and do. Lord, there will be times, there certainly have been in my time in ministry, when we sin, when we fall short, when we know things internally that others do not see, Lord, I pray that you will allow Eric the humility to come to his knees, to repent, to respond to criticism with a willingness to make real change. Father, may his wonderful sense of humor be an aid to him throughout his ministry, but may even that not get in the way of your message. This is a delicate thing to do and to do well, and none of us ever does it perfectly. So I pray that you will enable Eric, give him all the tools, all the abilities, 
to do it very well. And I pray that you will grant to him the commitment that he needs to pursue it very well. And may the love of this body and the love of his family and especially of Mandy sustain and uphold him in this task. May you bless him in all of these ways and bless all of us in Christ, I pray. Amen. You will rise for the benediction. Eric, I'm proud of you. I couldn't be more thrilled in this transition. I'm so glad to be able to continue to serve alongside of you. And I pray that you will be blessed and that all of you will be blessed as you are committed to gospel ministry, to biblical ministry, and support Eric as you have always supported me. May you, in that support now, not depart, but enjoy together a fellowship meal. Sorry, Jim, you're not here. But may it all be good, and may a demonstration of that be the fellowship which is now to follow. In Christ, amen.